Welcome to CruxCast. Whether you're in your car, at work, or at home, we hope you enjoy this interview. And if you do, you can find more like it on cruxinvestor.com. So please subscribe. Hi, I'm David Kelly. I'm the president and CEO of Chicana Copper. Chicana Copper is a junior exploration company focused in Peru. We have a sole asset in the Soledad project. We've made a very significant copper, gold, silver discovery in the Ancash province. It's in an active mining district. We're exploring the uh, property for tourmaline breccia pipes. They have very exceptional grades. We have sulfide contents that range from disseminated all the way to massive with some really spectacular copper, gold, and silver uh, grades. We're in a, a great location with great infrastructure, uh, supportive communities that are uh, familiar with mining and have been for a long time. And we're aggressively exploring this project to a maiden resource or a first initial resource that'll be out by the end of this year. David, good to have you on. I think we saw you back in April, so it's been it's been a while, uh, and it, and we saw the headlines. So I wanted to speak to you because there's some pretty impressive numbers in there. But I couldn't help notice you've come off about thirty percent on the share price in a high copper environment. I mean, what's happening out there? Yeah, it's it's hard to figure that one out, Matthew. I mean, I struggle answering the question. I, I certainly don't have the answers. If you look at all the copper companies right now, mid tier, juniors. Um, you know, they're going down and, and it, it's kind of, uh, it's counterintuitive. We know, I mean, copper still above $4 a pound, right? 425 copper is a great, very strong copper price. And then we know the, uh, the future of copper is very, uh, uh, it looks great because of all the, the clean energy initiatives that, you know, have been happening uh, in the U.S. They've declared major commitment for, uh, for clean energy initiatives, uh, electric vehicle proliferation and that type of thing. And copper is going to be one of the greatest benefactors of these clean, clean energy uh, movements by multiple governments around the world. So we know the future, even though the copper is strong now, it's going to get better. So why would uh, copper companies, especially ones that are making discoveries and putting out really impressive drill results, uh, be declining in a time like this. And it's it's hard for me to understand. I do know there's a lot of uh, there's you know a lot of investors are nervous about the markets these days. That the the debt uh, that multiple company countries have taken on has uh, skyrocketed, including uh, especially in the U.S. And that makes a lot of people nervous. Uh, about investing in the stock market at this time. Uh, but, you know, we, we are going to focus on what we're good at to control what we can, we can control, and that's to continue to advance this project and put out good results. I mean, look, you're based in the U.S. I mean, just so to get a bit macro here, I mean, what are the noises that you're hearing out of the government? I mean, is there, is there some sort of deadline to this? Usually there's some deadline that people are waiting for some kind of announcement. And, you know, it, we're as confused over this side of the pond as, as, as you seem to be, but what should we be looking at? Yeah, I mean, I I don't really I don't really know what's going to uh, to to make it turn. You know, uh, the the government uh, in the U.S. has you know they're supporting uh, all these clean energy initiatives, yet uh, they're not supporting mining in the U.S. and that's going to put even greater value on on assets in uh, in other parts of the world. You know, we think that's actually going to play in our favor. The fact that four key mega copper projects in North America have been uh, have been put on hold. Uh, that's just going to increase the, uh, the the need for that metal from other producing regions. So I think that's that's going to be a, a good thing. I think there is still a lot of uh, concern about what COVID uh, will do uh, globally. You know, we're still in the middle of it. It's, we're not out of it yet. Uh, there's variants that are now 
uh, affecting uh, multiple uh, countries globally. Uh, we're dealing with that in Peru as well. So uh, I think there's still a lot of concern about investing in a climate when there's so much uncertainty. Okay. And well, you, you touched on another topic there, which I wanted to ask you about, um, which is Peru and you know how things have been. Because you know, I think we, we've talked several times about the uh, political uh, scene there and what, what's going on and the, the uncertainty and, and, and unrest. I mean, is that affecting you at an operational level? Well, it's not. And I just came back from my first trip to Peru uh, just three weeks ago. And that was, you know, after a, an 18 month hiatus of not traveling to Peru. I mean, we're fortunate that we have a really exceptional operational team in Peru. It's all Peruvian. Um, they've demonstrated their ability to incorporate uh, uh, all the necessary COVID protocols. We're very fortunate that we've never had a positive case on our project uh, due to the, to, to the protocols that we have in place. Uh, but I can tell you that after coming back from there, I was really impressed with how Peru is getting on uh, with uh, with their economy, even in spite of COVID. The mining industry, I, 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 I you know, describe it as bustling. It's really very, very active. Uh, the mines are producing, uh, exploration is happening, companies are drilling. I went to the laboratory and and checked in on how they're doing, and they were they are maxed out right now. The turnaround time in Peru in the laboratories is not because of their reduced capacity or, or fewer employees and, and dealing with COVID. It's because they're maxed out with uh, sample submittals. They're expanding their capabilities. They're going from 12 to 14 ICPMS units, which is huge to begin with. Uh, they're expanding their fire assay capabilities. So business is on in Peru. I don't see any uh, negative effect from the uh, the elections and Castillo's administration yet. I think if you look at what Castillo wants to achieve as a president, it involves maximizing output for mining. And I think we're going to see support from them and not, uh, you know, not something that's going to get in our way. So talk, talk to me about the team down there, because you said that's your first visit to Peru. You've been managing this remotely during COVID. Who, yeah. I mean, is the local team entirely Peruvian? Yeah. Right. Yeah, they come from all parts of, of Peru. You know, we have people that a lot of people that come out of Lima, but we also have people that come out of Trujillo and and Arequipa and and, and other other parts of Peru. Uh, you know, the great thing about Peru is it is a mining country and it has a very very long history. Uh, you see it in the in the academic institutions there. There, are, you know, multiple universities that train professionals in mining, uh, from engineering to uh, geology to environment to social uh, programs. So they have a very rich uh, academic uh, environment for educating people. And then there's the, the you know, all the, the numerous mines that operate uh, give the Peruvians opportunities to practice their, their trade and, and, and develop the experience base. So we certainly benefit from that. You know, our exploration team, it's really exceptional, I think, in, in being able to focus on delivering what we need to demonstrate to the market that this is a very, very significant discovery. But so, so, well, tell me, give me break that team down from when you say the local team, the, the operational team is all Peruvian. I mean, who's doing what? I mean, is it 100% everyone that you use on the ground there, Peruvian, and you're dipping in what every now and again to, to, to do what? Give them guidance on. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I am a geologist, so I, you know, and that's one of the the hard things for a CEO do to do is a step back from from the role of being uh, directly involved in, in the day to day and the in the uh, the exploration stuff. But it's also the fun part of it, right? I mean, uh, you know, helping put together a program and, and bringing in the experts. I mean, we, you know, we, the the operational on the ground execution is all Peruvian. Uh, we have a, a, a permanent staff of Peruvians that. Uh, that are Chicana employees, and then we employ about 20 local uh, people in, from the communities that help us expand our uh, on-the-ground uh, capabilities uh, that deal with reclamation and uh, drill pad construction and, uh, you know, a lot of different, a lot of the initiatives we have with the local communities of, of improving uh, the infrastructure, uh, repairing uh, aqueducts and those types of things. There's multiple programs and those, those local employees help us with, with that. You know, in addition to that, we supplement with, the, with experts that come in. For example, uh, we have a gentleman named Bill Tanaka, a resource geologist. Bill's worked on about 160 projects in his career. He's Denver-based here. And he's the one that's planned all of the drilling for these resource uh, drilling programs. We have a, a young female geologist, very exceptional uh, leapfrog modeler, Yin Lai Chi. Uh, she does all of our, uh, our, our three-dimensional modeling. So if you've ever looked at our graphics in our, in our news releases, she's really the one that puts together the, the main uh, product there that, that demonstrates the shape and nature of these drill uh, of these uh, drilled out breccia pipes. So, you know, we supplement the team with experts, but, you know, on-the-ground operations is all based in but Peru. There's no sort of expectation. Look, you're, you're, a, you're a junior explorer. It's 30 million market cap. It's, it's, early, it's early days, but people come on here and they talk, oh, we've got ESG initiatives. We're, we're doing lots for the local community. Does employing 100% local people allow you to, you know, does it give you some kind of permission? Does it give you some kind of leeway in terms of the way that you do things? Or have you got to be mindful that, you know, you're in someone else's country, you're looking and exploring for, you know, their resources. Um, how, how do you manage that? Because I, I'm sort of, I'm sort of intrigued that because we see so many cases now of, you know, roadblocks being put up, sometimes literally roadblocks being put up for companies like yourself in different parts of the different parts of the world. I mean, have you got an eye on that? Yeah, you know, I the way I view it is is uh, you know, we need them and and they need us or they benefit from us being there. You know, we they're part of our team. You know, we I've never looked at it as, you know, we need to do this in order for our project to advance. I've always looked at it as in order for our project to advance, we need their help and, and they provide uh, they, they expand our team and, and give us the ability to accomplish uh, much more than we could if we brought in a, an external team. You know, they, they know they, they know the, the people, they, uh, they understand the area. Um, you know, they're, when, whenever we need anything, we turn locally first to try to find a person or a group that can come in and provide, you know, a service to us. Uh, a good example is, is local road building and, and the heavy equipment that we use. We always try to source locally uh, because we think we're going to get a better, a better product uh, for that. Um, you know, our, our ESG program, Doug, Doug Silver, when he joined and Doug is very big on ESG, uh, you know, and he, he, he 
was uh, when he was with Orion, you know, Orion put ESG at the very top of of any of their investments that they made. And he came in and, you know, after looking at the company and understanding what we're doing, you know, he said, you guys are doing a great job with ESG. He said, you're actually doing the the, the job of a, of what I would say is a mid tier in terms of the, the level that you're executing your ESG. He said, we need to do some work on on documenting it. And Doug's helping us. Uh, you know, articulate our ESG policy as a, as a tangible living document that we'll have to, to work with. But he said, what you're actually doing is is great. And we have a number of initiatives. We have a textile program with the, the women's group in IHA. We have, uh, we have infrastructure improvement uh, plan that, that runs, uh, you know, throughout the year. We have a tree uh, planting uh, program. We have, um, uh, you know, we have a, a community garden program that's been tremendously popular. You know, we've, we've built three community gardens now and we have an agriculturalist that, that works in our company that's t- demonstrating and showing the previous how to grow things other than potatoes. You know, they're, they're great at growing potatoes. Uh, they're great farmers. And we're showing them that all these other things that we can grow at this altitude, you know, radishes, uh, turnips, beets. Uh, those types of things. And they were so excited about uh, the success of one of the, the gardens that was that went in first that we uh, took them and their produce from this garden and, and had them exhibit in, a, in an agricultural fair in Wadas this year uh, to just show the different types of things that we could do. So that's, you know, that's a, that's a, that's one of our many programs that we have running at the moment. Okay. I, okay. That, that's interesting to know. So look, you've got some, um, Great, great headlines on the two latest press releases, and you know, and I want to talk about them. But I want to talk about them in the context of how you get noticed, because I think we've just talked about how you get noticed in the right way locally, because you've got to do things the right way. And I, I appreciate some of those initiatives. I wasn't aware of some of those initiatives, um, but you've got to work out at this stage who with the audience that you're talking to. These headlines are kind of eye catching, or at least they should be. To the market, which you, you know you've got a big retail following, but it hasn't done anything. It hasn't touched the sides here, right? So that that one, I guess, was that a surprise? And then two, what is the ultimate audience that you're talking to? Is it the end buyer, and you're trying to do that now, or is it retail? I mean, how, how do you manage those messages into market? Yeah, well, I guess addressing the first question, you know, was was that result of surprise? I, you know, kind of the way I look at it, it's more from a, a geostatistical standpoint. If you've already drilled fifty five thousand meters, you would think that you've seen everything, right? That there are no surprises. Uh, the chances of of hitting something better than you've ever seen before is is almost nil. And yet, you know, we keep uh, we keep getting better results than we've ever seen. After 55,000 meters, we hit 12 meters of massive sulfide that was 90% calcopyrite. I mean, that's the mineral that hosts the copper. That's why the grade in that interval was 27% copper, but it also had just under a kilogram of silver to go with it. We had seen massive sulfide intercepts before. In fact, we went back after this one and, and said, okay, well, how many massive sulfide intercepts do we have on the project? And we have 12. 
12 that are greater than one meter in length. But this was the, you know, this was the best one uh, by far. And, and so, you know, when you're still seeing those kind of results after all the work that we've done, it just tells me that the blue sky potential is there. We're still going to continue to, to, to see nice uh, surprises like this. And as we're doing more detailed infill drilling, you know, we're, we're catching, we're, we're, we're finding these zones, we're learning more about them and what controls them. So I think, you know, I get asked a lot, you know, do you expect to see more of this? And I absolutely do. Uh, those 12 intercepts occur in four of the, of the six breccia pipes that are going to be in the initial resource. So the potential exists in all four of those breccia pipes to come in and find uh, zones like we've just caught on to in, in, in breccia one in the blind north pipe. And I expect to see more of that in the future. Uh, you know, regarding your second question, you know, how do you how do you get recognition? What what what's your real audience? Is it retail or is it the ultimate you know uh, goal of, of selling this to a developer and, and to come in? Uh, I, they're they're both really important. You know, our stock moves on on the retail. We know that our institutional shareholders are long term. We know that Goldfields is long term. We know that the insiders and management is long term. So there's really just about you know a twenty. 20, 25% uh, part of our shareholding that's really moving the stock. And so that's that's obviously where we need to focus and get this story out um, about what the significance of this, of this discovery is. I can tell you when we do put out news releases like this, I get a lot of a lot of uh, accolades from from my colleagues in the industry, most of which still work in the in the in the major part of the of the industry, you know, uh, a BHP, Barrick, uh, Newmont. Uh, obviously, Goldfields is very excited about our results. Um, so I, I take a lot of personal satisfaction that when we put out results like that, I hear from, from these people in these major companies. They're watching us. There's, there's no doubt about it. Um, and, you know, I, I do think that our stock will perform. I think the, the resource estimate is really key to that, to demonstrate that we've got a well-organized mineral system that, that you know, that hangs together nicely. So, so what, what, when's that, G? I mean, I think we, you, you talked about doing a resource estimate by the end of this year. Is that still on? Yeah, that's right. And that's been my commitment. You know, I, I take off on Friday for, uh, for my second trip down to Peru. This trip will be hosting our QP, a gentleman named Dr. Jill Arsenault. He's a very well-known resource estimator in the industry. He's Canadian-based. And uh, he's our QP for the project. He will be signing off on the resource estimate. Uh, the last, uh, you know, drill, uh, drill uh, samples just went into the lab uh, last week. And so, you know, they're, they're in process. We still have 61 drill holes to publish. Uh, that are in various stages of, you know, from, from assays pending to samples just getting into the lab. Uh, so we still have lots of news flow leading up to this news release or to the, to the, to the uh, resource estimate, but we're on track to get that out this year. We're working really hard and, you know, and everyone's aligned with that goal. So, so just on that, because you need to kind of piece all this together for us. So you've got, you've got the um, resource estimate at the end of this year. Is this just a stake in the sand or is this something that you, you're going to stand behind and go, hey, we, we, we we cracked it here. I mean, I mean, how much data is actually going to be in there and how much is going to be left out? Well, the resource estimate will have all of the resource definition drilling that we've done over this last 32,000 meters of drilling. So, you know, I don't, I don't know the exact numbers right now. I'd have to look it up, but the majority, I would say, you know, 20,000 meters, 25,000 meters of that has gone into resource 
ex, uh, resource definition drilling and all of that, 100% of that will be part of the resource estimate. Now, having said that, the resource estimate is just going to be what I call the initial resource estimate. It's only based on six breccia pipes. It's only gonna be down to 300 meters. All the pipes are open at depth. We know that we know we can expand resources in the future simply by drilling out, continuing to drill out what we've already found. But we also know that we've got 110 targets on the project. Um, only 15 of those have been tested. Of those 15, six of those ended up being uh, pipes that we drilled out that are going into the resource estimate. So if you apply that success ratio, you know, to the rest of our inventory of targets, there's a tremendous upside potential built in right there. I mean, that's really our growth story of how we're going to take this initial resource and double it, quadruple it, you know, continue to advance it uh, with, with uh, aggressive exploration, both at depth and expanding the number of retro pipes that are in the resource estimate. Right, so how much money have you got and how much of that is going to go into further drilling infill or otherwise? Yeah, so our, our treasury is right at about 4.75 uh, Canadian right now, and that's enough to see the, you know, the completion of all the work that's in progress, uh, the resource estimate, uh, you know, and, and get that published and, and out to the market. So, you know, we're strong financially. We're not drilling at the moment, and we chose to, to stop drilling. Once we finished the resource drilling, we, we decided to stop the exploration drilling, the new target testing, because we're doing some really, really exciting geophysics on the property. At the moment, we brought in uh, Goldfields uh, has made available their uh, chief geophysicist, a gentleman named uh, Andrew Foley. I worked with Andrew at Newmont before. He's really an exceptional geophysicist. And it was it was really the first time we stepped back and said, OK, we need to apply geophysics that's that's specific to these terminally breccia pipe type of targets, not apply a standard setup that you do for a porphyry or SCARN or an epithermal uh, type of system. There's a lot of kind of template boilerplate approach to geophysics in the industry. But when you have people like Andrew available to you, you can really go in and tear it apart. And we do what, what's called orientation surveys. It's really taking these breccia pipes we've already drilled out and have a lot of uh, in, internal knowledge about, and then setting up the geophysical studies to go in there, different arrangements, different spacing, uh, different types of approaches, and really figure out how to dial it in. And we've done that. We have two new geophysical approaches that are being uh, used on the property at the moment. One's called gradient array induced polarization. And the other is a form of a, of a 3D IP. And they have uh, different purposes, but together they, they really do an exceptional job of identifying where the breccia pipes can occur. And then within those zones, where are the sweet spots where we need to go and, and target and drill test. And you, as you recall, we have blind uh, uh, breccia pipes on the property. We know that not all the breccia pipes are cropping out at surface. So not only are we going to go after these 110 targets that um, you know are, are obvious features, but we're identifying new blind drill targets too that will be no doubt part of the future success uh, discovery story of the project. Okay, so here's, here's the, I guess, the challenge for you guys is to you need a moment here because let's you know there's been a sort of slide in terms of the share price right for yeah. for for the, for the year you are getting on and doing some drilling and there's some big numbers in there but you've got to piece the story together for for the market you've got to you i know you're coming up with a resource estimate at the end of this year but if you call that a maiden resource or initial resource or the first resource people are going to go oh that's what they've got yet it's only based on you know partial data in in, in a sense it's only based on would you say four or six of the breccia pipes like 
six. Six, six of the, Bra- the Bradshaw packs, okay. So, but people read a lot into that. And we've seen companies come on here and they've said, they've told us in two or three interviews, we're going to put out a partial a resource estimate. It's only going to be a small one, just a stake in the sand. They've said it three times, loud, headlines everywhere. And when they go and do that, people go, oh, we were expecting more. Do you know what I mean? So the more, you need to yeah. signpost really heavily, you know, what this initial resource estimate is. So, so what, what is it? How are you defining it? How should people look at that? Well, you know, our goal has always been to, to put out a resource that by its, by its very nature underpins the, uh, you know, the, the, the start of what can be a new mine in Peru. You know, we didn't want to start off with a small resource that, yeah, if you triple that or quadruple it, then maybe you're starting to look at something that could turn into a mine. We will start with something that is material. You know, I don't know what the numbers are going to be yet. We're, we're crunching the numbers and we still have a lot of outstanding numbers to come in. But I can tell you it's going to create the basis for what is going to be a new mine in Peru. I, I'm absolutely convinced of this. And I, I say that based on uh, the experience of our team, you know, what, you know, what Bill Tanaka's impressions are of, of, of you know, the, the mineral system we're dealing with. When he comes back and says this is one of the, the most well-organized mineral systems I've ever seen. What he's really referring to is the fact that uh, it hangs together. It's not just a, a you know, a, a director's hole here and then some, some negative results and then another good hit over here or some high grade structure. This stuff is sitting together in a nice uniform way in a very well organized way. The grade is variable. We get, you know, we go from disseminated mineralization to massive sulfide, right? So we, and everything in between. Uh, but the, the fact that it, it, it hangs together and it creates these zones, uh, the, the mining geometry looks uh, ideal, the vertical breccia pipes uh, on the side of a hill where you can drive in with adits to intersect the breccia pipes, you can mine up, you can let gravity pull the ore down, you can put your waste back in the mine. It has all the great hallmarks you look for and what could be a mine. So I think that's really going to be the step change is a resource that has uh, some real meat to it, right? Something that, that that companies can come in and start doing their engineering story studies, start studying, start looking at how this could be turned into a mine. And I think that's when the realization of what kind of value we've created in this discovery is going to is going to play out. Okay, so you're going to come to the market with some kind of. I want you can't put economics near. Well, I I probably can in, in, in dumb language and say it's going to be an economic starter resource estimate because it's only partial data and you've got all of this other stuff that hangs off the back of it which could build it out into something okay and uh, so be very clear here you're not saying it's an economic i'm saying i'm just trying to understand the the difference between what you put out and what i hear a lot and what why that then gives this company a chance where others have failed or will will fail, um, but coming again, coming back to that share price thing, the declining yeah. share price here. I need a growth story. That's the other thing as an investor. I'm going to need. Why is this a growth story where other copper stories um, aren't? Because we've seen a lot of few copper companies come through uh, our doors, and they're in a similar position to you, but they haven't been able to explain to me how they're going to get this thing either financed or into production or move to the next stage because they're dependent on copper price, which is already doing a lot for them, uh, doing even more for them. 
What do you do? Yeah, and I, I think it's really going to come down to how robust is 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 the resource. And we've talked about this before. You know, grade is king, and we've got grade. You know, we've got excellent grade. Um, and that grade is going to protect you on the downside when you're in a down cycle for metal pr- uh, prices. And it's going to really, really reward you on the up cycle. So, you know, we've got great on our side. We've got location infrastructure. The resource itself is going to be a starter resource that even if you put that into production, you know, it, it could turn into a very, very, we think it will turn into a very uh, profitable operation. But then you have to step back and say, well, how big could this thing be? What if we do uh, double or triple or quadruple the number of breccia pipes? And what if we go underground and continue to expand this, you know, could this thing be 10 times bigger than our starting point? You know, those are the kind of questions we're asking. And, you know, that's why we've gotten the attention of of, of the major companies. You know, that's why, you know, Goldfields came in and invested in 2019 because they saw that upside potential. You know, I look at the project as very low risk that this is not going to be a successful mine. And certainly the probability or possibility that this could be an enormous mine, right? If we continue our discovery track record, like we've already demonstrated over the last four years uh, with the, with the, with the, these other targets that we have, this project has got scalability. And that's something that a lot of people can't say. They don't have grade. They don't have scalability. They don't have the location in the infrastructure, uh, they're not in a in a, in a in a in a mining country. I mean, there's all these things where you got to go down and start ticking the boxes. And if I were an investor and I'm looking at investing in, you know, some great discovery success story, I would want to know, you know, yeah, you might have a 10% zinc deposit, but if it's in the middle of nowhere, it's never going to be a mine, not in our lifetime, right? But that's not the case here. We're talking about high-grade copper, gold, and silver at a time when the demand for copper is going to reach levels it's never seen before. And, you know, and, and, and at a time when Peru continues to crank out the copper at the same rate it did before the elections, it's still the number two copper producer in the world. And it's going to stay that way for a long, long time. So they need discoveries like we've made. And, you know, we're happy to, to continue to uh, put out um, results that indicate that this is going to be a mine in Peru someday. Do you think Goldfields is part of the problem here? Do you think people are nervous about what their intention is? Do you think that they're going to pick this thing up cheap? I mean, where's the competitive tension that you're going to need to optimize the price here? I mean, that's going to that's going to be really important to you. That's one of the things that's going to be important to you. Yeah, I, th- I think there is an overhang in the stock uh, as a result of that. Um, you know, I... Uh, I always remind people that there's no first right of refusal. Uh, it's wide open. Any, any, anyone else can come in and you see great examples like with Saul Gold that has, you know, BHP and Newcrest on the, on their register. Um, uh, you know, I, I, I know that's, that's an issue in some people's mind, but um, I, I, I think, you know, there's a number of ways to move forward. I think the way we finance the company uh, going forward um, you know, we'll, we'll, you know, there, there's ways of, of expanding the way we uh, build out our shareholder list. And, you know, our Goldfields has been a great partner for us. And I'm real happy that they came in. Um, I don't really think it's going to be an issue. I think, um, you know, we've got to get to a certain level for them to, uh, for it to be on their radar screen. And that's, you know, that's going to be uh, bigger than we are going to start with in this resource. So, 
you know, they're not going to jump in, I don't think, and, and try to take us out until we've, we've materially demonstrated that we can deliver this project at the level of their kind of minimum threshold. And that's, that's a lot bigger than we're going to start. So, you know, if we get to that level, then, you know, there's no doubt that people are going to be lined up and want to participate in this. Um, there's always the opportunity, there's always a possibility that, you know, two mining companies get involved and it gets developed as a, as a joint operation. You see lots of examples of that as well. So uh, I think there's a perception out there, but in reality, it's wide open. Anyone can come in and invest in our, in our company. Okay. So you, I mean, given that you've been talking the language of this thing could be huge, then the, the expectation of in the market that potentially it'll be Really interesting for golfers. You can understand why why that's there. But given what the bit I wanted to know is, if you're cognizant of it and aware of it, you are. What do you do about it to get the competitive tension? So you know who else has been picking up the phone and going, "Hey, saw your results. They look great. We're here if you uh, if you um, get any more of that." I mean, yeah. are you getting those phone calls? Yeah, we are. And it comes from a lot of different directions. You know, we, we, we get uh, mid-tier miners that are interested in the project. Um, I mean, there's always a possibility that, that we don't reach uh, Goldfield's minimum threshold and they, and they, they step back, right? Um, I don't think they'll be the kind of shareholder that'll want to capitulate, but I, you know, it's possible they could step back and say, you know, we think this, this is a great project. It's not, uh, it's not material to us at this point in time. It could be in the future. You know, we want to sit on our, our shareholding and let somebody else come in and a mid-tier come in. Uh, that could happen. We get lots of attention for royalty and streaming companies, obviously, because we have very high grades and we have multi-metals, right? So uh, in, in some of these, uh, you know, royalty and streaming companies are developers as well. So you could bring in a company that helps finance the project going forward, uh, they get involved in, in the royalties or the streaming aspect of it. The, uh, they've got the potential to, to bring in and develop a mine. Um, so there's lots of interesting ways that you can go about the financing. And I can tell you, bringing a guy like Doug Silver onto the board uh, just opened so many doors for us. I mean, we just came back from Beaver Creek and we had, you know, 30 meetings back to back over three days. It was one of the most gratifying investment conferences I've ever participated in in the last, you know, four or five years. And a lot of the doors that were opened were because Doug was sitting at the table and we're talking to these companies and, you know, they're asking Doug, why did you join the board of, of Chicana Copper? And, you know, he's, he said, first and foremost, I am a geologist and this is one of the most exciting discoveries I've seen in a long time. He loves this project. He loves the upside potential. He loves the optionality of it. The fact that you've got multiple metals, you've got high grades, uh, you've got great blue sky potential, um, you know, and, and Doug wouldn't join the, the board of, uh, of, of just anyone. Doug is a personal friend. I've known him for 20, 20 years, but he wouldn't have joined the board just on that basis. He's really excited about the project. And he's also excited about what he can contribute to our growth uh, going forward. And I, I know we're going to see some great things that are going to come out of Doug's contribution. Right. Like, David, I appreciate you coming on and having a chat with us today, updating us. The, the bit I guess I want to see is, you know, obviously the resource estimate and how you can start talking the language of a starter mine, because you've got so much yeah. potentiality, but that costs money. That usually suggests dilution or giving away royalties or streaming uh, deals. You know, you've, you've got to come up with a way of showing the market the 
potential of one being a producer. That's hard. Not enough good copper stories out there. We, we've been trying to find good copper stories. I want copper in my portfolio. Um, so yeah. uh, you know, it'd be great to see if, if and when you can demonstrate that. And then obviously yeah. later on the scale of, of this thing and the economics of this thing. So like, appreciate your time today. Uh, stay in touch. Let us know how you get on. Okay. Thank you, Matthew. Really appreciate it. Thank you for listening. If you've enjoyed the interview, why not subscribe to Cruxcast or our website, cruxinvestor.com, and of course, our YouTube channel, Crux Investor. Plus, you can catch us most days on Twitter and LinkedIn. We really love getting your feedback, so please keep it coming, and we'll speak to you again soon.